Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. We must invite you all to a conference that we're having in Louisville, Kentucky. A conference, a Founders National Conference, May 14th through the 16th, entitled The Gospel and justice. There's going to be all kinds of speakers at this conference. We're looking forward to it very much, and you can find more information at founders.org. You can find registration there as well. We would love for you to join us in May. Yeah, it'll be a great conference. Also, uh, look at the Founders website, founders.org, and see the different uh, materials we have there. We have articles that go on for years. Uh, We have books available there as well. There's a a way that you can support Founders Ministries. We would welcome that in these critical days. I do feel guilty, though, Jared. I, I have a confession to make. Last podcast just, that, just start with, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I, I've got you. I'm right here ready. I'm <laughs> okay. listening. Forgive me, Jared, because Hannah sinned. She told us that Oh, I love when you last, do confessions of other people's that's what sin. I got. I that's bet, my I'm, favorite. I'm, I'm expert at that. Yes. I'm expert at that. Because when I asked what number podcast was it last time, she said that was 30, and I said 30 because I'm just such a guy that is so easily trustworthy of people. <laughs> but when I went back and counted them, that was number 29. Boy, Hannah's had to live with you all these years. I know. And that she's helped me to learn how to forgive. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hannah does a great job. As, I don't even know what she, what do we call her? Technician? Guru? She is our Wizard? media communications director. Media communications. Wait, say that again. She's our media, media communications, communications director. director. You are El Presidente. I am? Mm-hmm. El Jefe. I am... Uh, <laughs> I'm the vice president. <laughs> well, you're so good. You're good at that. Yeah, that's right. You got so vice covered. If then. you die, I'm going to fly on the uh, the big jet. Okay. That's how it works. That's right. Bicycle one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, so today we want to start by talking about manhood. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, act like men. And so it must mean something. There must be something to this manhood thing. Um what are your thoughts about it, Tom? What, what does it mean to be a man? Well, it means to be something different than a woman. I think we cannot assume mm. those things anymore. Uh, it goes back to creation. I think so much of the confusion we have going on in our day-to-day, so much of the uh, well-intended, if I put the best construction on it, and yet seriously misguided efforts of men to, quote, platform women, elevate women, to uh, do good for women, Mm -hmm. is rooted in a misunderstanding of Genesis 1 and 2. God created the heavens and the earth, all things in it. God created man and woman in the image of God. So if we go back to the, the foundational revelation of what God has done in creating the human race, we see he created us biologically and um, in every other way to be distinct as men and women. So a man is not a woman, a woman is not a man, and yet we together 
and individually bear the image of God. So that's huge in my mind that yep. God made this distinction and we shouldn't try to erase it. Yep. Yeah, I think this is an important topic for us because I think that even in the reformed evangelical <laughs> world there's a lot of there's a lot of reductionistic talk about this and I think given some of the things that are going on in the culture around us we're going to get spanked all over the court on this thing if we we're not are being spanked. we are being uh, right now. So so you know I've heard people reducing complementarianism to this idea of oh I just kind of cast the final vote, you know, <laughs> on that rare occasion it never happens, but you know just if it ever did happen I would kind of cast the final vote uh, and that's really how if, uh, if my wife would let me if, if she lets me it, it's, it's honey may I vote the final vote this time yeah I mean it's so essentially what what we need to do is manhood and womanhood is going to sh- help show the differences that exist uh, between man and woman and then some of the way that that flows itself out in complementarianism. I've always said, look, if you're if you're upstairs in the bed at night and you hear a, a bad guy breaking in downstairs and both of you agree that a bad man's breaking in downstairs. There's no final vote to cast. Yeah, you have you, to flip you, a coin and say, which one of us goes downstairs? If your complementarianism has nothing else to say in that kind of situation, then it is it is insanely reductionistic. Yeah. And everybody can keep saying, I'm a complementarian. Oh, and I'm complementarian, but, 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 but. So, uh, Manhood, I would highly recommend Piper's book, What What's the Difference? It's a very small mm, book, and mm. he spells out a great definition of manhood. And going back to Genesis, looking at what's going on there, in the garden is critical. What goes on in Genesis 2.15, uh, we see that man is made first, then woman. She is made from from Adam, and there is this wonderful unity. You are bone of my bone. You are flesh of my flesh. You are the helper that's suitable for me. And yet from the very beginning, we also see there there is a sense in which she is the helper. You are bone of my bone. He, he doesn't mm-hmm, say mm-hmm. he doesn't say I'm bone of your bone. No, you're bone of my bone. You're flesh of my flesh. He names Eve and goes on. So, w- what are some of his obligations? Well, he is to lead. Mm-hmm. He is to provide for. He is to protect, and he's to do this uh, for women in ways that are appropriate to that man's differing relationships. He's he's, he's he needs to be doing that uh, in all of his relationships with women, but the, certainly the ones that we're clearest on is in the home. Uh, we see it in the church more clearly. It gets less clear how that applies in the world, but yet it still applies there in the world. And we have to reassert that understanding. You're to be leading, providing for, and protecting. So that means that uh, if your wife is walking down the street and my wife and I are walking down the street and your wife gets assaulted by someone, then I don't look at my wife and say, well, which one of us should handle this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or, or and, and you don't, if, if both of the ladies are getting attacked by a bad guy, you don't go, oh, well, I'm just going to protect my wife. Right. Well, no, there is actually an obligation for you to protect your wife in a way that you're not to protect my wife. And yet, if, if I'm not there, then what do I expect my brother to do? And you don't say, well, we're not in the church, mm-hmm. not um, in the home. you know, and we're not in the home, so there's no application whatsoever. Of course there is. Yeah. This, this is, so we just need to, to reassert these foundational truths that we see um, what are you to do as a man was well, you're to lead provide for you're to protect that that at least gets us down the road a bit yeah and adam failed miserably on those points in when the the devil came and successfully mm-hmm. tempted eve adam should have been kicking that snake on on his head you know should That's have right. been crushing his head right there he didn't do it i do want to to say that this does not mean that there is a license for men to be jerks 
and to lord over women uh, some kind of sense of superiority. Yeah. And so all misogyny is outlawed by God's word. All of the excesses of, of treating women poorly and abusing women is abominated by God and anyone who loves God and takes his word seriously. That needs to be said. We, we uh, give no quarter on that kind of nonsense. However, however, the abuse of the teachings of God's word about manhood and womanhood are no reason to dismiss them. We deal with the abuses, we call the abuses what they are, but then we cling firmly to what God actually says. And I was talking to a a very accomplished young lady last week. Uh, She's known uh, nationally, maybe internationally, very, uh, she's been risen to the top of her field. And we were talking about this very issue. And in the conversation I said, and and what grieves me about the uh, kind of flattening out of the roles of men and women by many who want to still claim being complementarian Christians in our day is that they are looking at people like you and making you feel guilty because you are not pursuing a feminist agenda. Mm -hmm. I'm the father of five strong women. I'm married to a strong woman and they embrace God's calling in their lives to be women. They're not Mm -hmm. walking around frustrated that they're not Mm -hmm. men Mm -hmm. and can't do the things that Mm -hmm. God has restricted to certain men. Hmm. Yeah, this is so important, man. There, There's all this talk right now um, about uh, the abuse that's going on, and we need to be dealing with the abuse that's going on. But one of my concerns is that uh, people can think, well, we need not to talk about headship anymore. Because right. if you talk about headship and if you talk about manhood, that's going to result in in abuse. That's right. And I think it's exactly the opposite. If Absolutely. you are a faithful biblical man and you're teaching biblical manhood faithfully and scripturally, that's going to result in the eradication of abuse. The, 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 what, what we just said is to lead, provide for, and, and protect. protect. It's because men aren't doing that that we have the abuse that we have presently. Men need to be called to account. So your job is to lead, provide for, and protect. So there's 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 no way that a guy says, oh, well, I'm going to be a faithful man, and then I'm going to abuse my wife. Are you right. kidding me? No. You're going to be thrown in jail, and that's what you need. And you need other men that are going to come alongside and say, we're going to make sure that you're thrown in jail, because since you're not protecting your wife, we're going to. It's right. lead, provide for, and So all of the sexual abuse stuff that's going on now is not the result of toxic masculinity. It is the result of a failed masculinity, a lack of biblical masculinity. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am about the book that we're about to talk about. Try. Oh, man. How excited. Oh, Okay, so far and wide throughout the kingdom of Reformed and Calvinistic Baptists. Which is what, like six feet by nine feet? No, we're big now, man. (laughs) Back in your day, you could all fit in an elevator booth. But, man, we're cranking now. So uh, lend me your ear, G3 conference attendees. Lend me your ear, undercover Reformed Baptists within the Southern Baptist Convention. Keep going. We're going to take over. Lend me your ear, all Calvinistic Baptists everywhere, all 1689 Federalists. And all other people 
We want everybody to believe this. And anybody who wants to be one or who wants to dig into <laughs> covenant theology. All Presbyterians, New Covenant people, all that. But there has been all kinds of talk about 1689 federalism. We've got websites. We've got YouTube. We've got all different kinds of books that have been written about the topic we've of got, Baptist covenant theology. we got tattoos. we got tattoos. <laughs> We've got a book by Richard Barcellus that was great, and we released that at Founders, talking about the yep. Covenant of Works yep. and dealing with some of these foundational things. Pascal, getting the Garden Right. Getting the Garden Right. Go buy that. Pascal Deneau has written great books on the distinctives of Baptist Covenant mm-hmm. Theology. Uh, Jeff Johnson. Yeah, Jeff Johnson. Lots yep. of good stuff out good. there. But I was sitting around going, I want, where, where is the book that articulates 1689 Federalism? It, while you were sitting there, did something descend down just, from it's like, the clouds? Man, it just floated down on me. Just, I mean, through cyberspace, actually, through right? Through cyberspace. <laughs> I said, we need this book. Everybody's talking about it. We need Who has systematized this? Who's going to explain what the 17th century English Baptist held concerning covenant theology? And I heard from somebody that said, I know a guy that's writing that book. Sam Renahan. Sam Renahan has written this book. It is called The Mystery of Christ, His Covenant his kingdom. And I should mention it's a manuscript that I hold in my hand because Founders Press is publishing this thing. It is scheduled to come out this summer, and we are extremely excited about it. He, uh, Sam has done all kinds of great work. He's got another book called From Shadow to Substance that we talked about in a previous podcast where he dealt with uh, really a historical theological approach to understanding where the 17th century English Baptists were. But in this book, uh, it is it's tight. It's it's not terribly long, and it's crystal clear presenting uh, 1689 federalism, presenting 17th century English Baptist covenant theology. Now, this is certainly there, there was there was um, nuance there. There was a majority report and a minority report in the 17th century, but he has really spelled out here the majority report. In the front of the book, he does some great work on foundational issues. He defines a covenant, which is critical to the whole conversation. He defines it as a guaranteed commitment. It's not merely a promise. It is a guaranteed Hmm. promise. It comes with sanctions. That's foundational. Cites some text to prove that. He deals with typology. Uh, when you're dealing with the sign and the thing signified, he makes it very clear that uh, the type uh, refers to something greater and other than itself. The anti-type mm-hmm. is not itself the type. So that's another foundational key thing that's going to play out in the hermeneutics, it's going to play out in the covenant theology. And it's, and it's a very big point to make between the paedo-baptist covenant theology and credo-baptist covenant theology. Right, right. Um, after dealing with some foundational issues, he spells out... Um, the mystery of Christ, his covenant, his kingdom. He deals with the covenant of works. He deals uh, with the covenant of grace, uh, the covenant of redemption. And then he deals with the Israelite covenants, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, really spelling out the way that this is revealed through Scripture, that the Abrahamic covenant is not the covenant of grace. Uh, it in conjunction with the Mosaic Covenant and the Davidic Covenant are the Old Covenant Mm. that typologically revealed the New Covenant of Grace that is um, promised in the Old um, by which um, uh, all people everywhere have been saved, but that Covenant of Grace is established at the blood 
of Christ, at the cross mm-hmm. of Christ. So, boy, he spells it out. I think this is going to be a book that should be read far and wide. That's going to be one we can uh, have book reviews and conversations about as we continue to spell out 17th century English Baptist covenant theology. Why don't we do a pre-publication special? Oh. And let's <clears throat> make this book available at a deep discount for those who would order it on a pre-publication basis. Hey, we'll do that. All Listen right. to future podcasts, and we're going to be giving you details about it. Let's that. talk to our marketing director about it. All right, we'll do it. Okay. Hey, Section 3 of the podcast, we deal with various commands. Here's one, Tom. You ready? What is it? You ready? What? It's coming. Is it? Is this, one no, is this one a real command, or is this an indicative statement of what ought to be done? I will at least tell you that just like the one that we talked about in our last episode that you nitpicked about, um, <laughs> you cannot do this one apart from the Spirit either. But is it something I'm is commanded active, to is do? Is it active or passive? Um, this, one's, this one's active. This okay. one's active. I'm you all about active it. commands. You know what it is? Tell me. Repent. Done. <laughs> Next. Repent. <laughs> Done. <laughs> you got to repent for your own sins. You can't be repent for Hannah's sins. Like I know. To do and that's a good thing for me because if I had to repent for Hannah's sins, I, I don't. I wouldn't be able to live long enough. Oh, <laughs> Ali. Oh, oh man. Hannah's my twenty-one-year-old daughter, unmarried, by the way. That uh, if you, I'm, she's a sweet girl. Are we talking about Courtney now? Courtney. Courtney. <laughs> I, I have a daughter named Courtney. You want to talk instead of talking about repent, you want to talk about like marriage and Courtney and all that stuff. Yeah, we ought to put that on the agenda. Yeah. We ought to do we'll that. We'll do that in the future. Okay. Sorry about that. But anyhow, Hannah's sweet and uh she repents for her own sins. And I have more than enough to do for myself. You know, it does remind me though, this I just thought about this. The first of uh Luther's theses, mm-hmm. the nailed to the Wittenberg door. All of life. Yeah. Uh-huh. The repentance is not this one time thing. It is all of life. And that's a good thing for us to understand. We'll come back to the commandment in a moment. But the Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. Mm. You know, we don't do this once to get in and then be done with it. No, we live in repentance and faith. Yep. Well, we see this commanded in a number of places in the New Testament. Matthew four seventeen is one, if you just would like a scripture underneath of that. But we do this with our kids. We do the Truth and Grace Catechism. What um, is that? It's also a Founders Press publication, which you can get at founders.org. Click on the store, go there. Is it just one? And you'll benefit. There's three of them. Three volumes. There's three volumes, different catechism in each one. If you got little small kids, start with number one. If you got middle-aged kids, start with number two. If you got older kids, go ahead and get book number three. In book number one, uh, this is so foundational, so important. We look to our kids and we say, what is it to repent? That's in the catechism. And they say, to be sorry for sin and to hate and forsake it because it is displeasing to God. So uh, just a wonderful definition there. We say, okay, so you really got to be sorry. You got to have sorrow mm-hmm. for your sin. But not only sorrow, you need to hate your sin. You need to hate it. Uh, you need to want to kill it, and you need to kill it. Uh, you need to hate it. You need to forsake it. That means you just need you need to leave off of it. If you're going to repent, it means you actually turn away from it and get away from it. And then the end of the uh, response in the catechism, of course, is extremely important to give them an understanding. The reason you're doing this is not because you know you're afraid if you get caught and you're going to get in trouble or you'll be embarrassed, but you do this because it's displeasing to God. You're mm. not repenting unless your sorrow over your sin and your hatred and your forsaking of that sin is uh, compelled because it's displeasing 
pleasing to God because you love God and uh, he is displeased by your sin. Yeah, Paul says in Acts 17.30 when he's speaking to the philosophers in Athens that in the time of ignorance, God overlooked what was going on, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, all people everywhere. So you might have just happened upon this podcast and you may not be a Christian, have any regard for the things of Christ, but understand that God commands you to repent. And this is the universal obligation that everyone made in God's image bears. And so we call you to repent. What does that mean? It means to turn away from your sin, to acknowledge that you have violated God's commandments. You are estranged from him. You are his enemy. He is your enemy, and you need to be reconciled. And as you repent, you must turn to Jesus Christ in faith because you've not been living by faith in Christ, and you must start living by faith in Christ. So true repentance always includes in it true belief, and true belief always includes in it true repentance. And so if you've never turned from your sin, turn from your sin. We have a Savior. There's Own your sin. Admit it, because if you do that, there's good news for you. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. That's right. It indeed is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to Mm. repentance, our Confession says in chapter 15 uh, on repentance that repentance is an evangelical grace and that um, it is the grace of God as we have our hearts opened up and our minds opened up, our eyes opened up to see God in his kindness, to see the Lord Jesus Christ in believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we repent. And so the good news that we uh, declare is that God has not treated sinners as their sins deserve, but has put forward his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer our uh, our sins on the cross, that he's risen again, and do indeed trust in him and repent of sin. So repent and believe the gospel. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, you can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org.